0: Hey everyone, welcome back to Beyond AIO from Odyssey Geek. And by the time this comes out, it'll been like quite a bit of time, but it's been quite a while since I've recorded with Michael, and it's great to be talking with him again. Welcome back, Michael. Brussels sprout? That was random. Did you get that reference? No, that's that's a reference directly from the first episode. Hi, how's it going, Austin? Oh yeah, that's right. I have that by those. Come on, Austin. <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing? Oh, yeah. I, I'm I'm doing okay,
1: despite having listened to. Well, we'll get into it. Anyway, we're we're back doing uh pause and tales,
0: so yay, <laughs> great. Yep, we're gonna be reviewing episode ten, the lighthouse, and then episode eleven, a race against time. So let's go ahead and start with episode number ten, the lighthouse, and the writer for this one is Clark Corcum, and I believe this is the first episode with a credit where Phil Lawler is a script supervisor, and I'm not sure what the, all that entails. I think he mainly did script supervising for. A lot of scripts that weren't written by David Carl. I think he might have done something with David Carl, but I'm I'm assuming it's probably like new writers for audio drama, maybe and he's kind of helping out with that possibly. And the director is David Carl. Music by Tim Hosman. Sound design by Eric Basil. And the song "Still Small Voice" written by Sandy Howe and Nick Brown. Yay. Um, I got a question. A a, a little
1: question here. So okay. Uh, I haven't talked to you as much about it, but I've been talking with Ryan. Ad nauseum
0: about Down Gilead Lane, mm-hmm. and I'm currently almost at the end of season eight. Ooh, wow! You're past me now. I'm almost, almost done listening to season seven. Have you heard it all already? I mean, I have heard the whole series. I'm just going back through, listening to all the episodes again. No, oh, okay, okay.
1: Well, in the meantime, I'm wondering either one: have I been spoiled by DGL, and now I'm coming back to this, or two: were the be- were the previous episodes just better than than these? Like, uh, what was episode eight again? Was that? Was that the one that was a play on uh what's it uh To Kill a Mockingbird or was that an earlier one?
0: Episode eight was a closer look with the magnifying glass and the gifts thing. Standing alone was episode six, the one we did with uh about you know the midnight mule. Right, that one.
1: I like that one, but I'm trying to remember. I think back when we did the review of of that one, what was that episode called? What was that episode called again? That one was standing alone. Right. I think with Standing Alone, the episode we reviewed it alongside, I was like, I think this is my favorite and least favorite episode. Do you remember mm-hmm. me saying that? Yep. I remember that. Right. Okay. So that was it. So I I have le- really liked Paws and Tales before. And so I'm wondering, jumping into these two episodes, I don't know what's going on right now, whether it's just Paws and Tales or me not having listened to it for a while. But uh, I gotta say, I don't have really great thoughts on either of these, and I'm like, go off the top. I'm sorry about that, but, you know.
0: Oh, no. It's fine. Okay. Well, But also, too, the right, the writers for these, I think some of the episodes that you didn't like were more of ones that, were, that weren't that were written by David Carl. Yeah, that's fair. It's so, like this one, Clark Horkum, he wrote uh, God with the Wind, which I know you didn't like that one very much. <laughs> I forgot about that one. Yeah. So, like I said, th- this part in the season, it's still kind of uh, hit and miss. Yeah, about halfway through the season, I think, is when Paws and Tails starts to go on the uphill and then it stays uphill for pretty much the entire of season two. Okay. So we're, we're still in the rough patch of the series right now. So it gets better. It gets better. Oh, that's good. Looking forward to that then. So near the beginning of this episode, we are introduced. I think there might have been some mentions before, but we are introduced to Captain Horatio, who's the lighthouse keeper. And he is a walrus. Oh, I like that. <laughs> yeah, he's got a funny voice. Well, he's not the first walrus that we've heard. We heard Jeremiah. Oh, right. I believe his name is Horatio too, and I'm not sure what relation it is. I'm wondering if this is Jeremiah's grandpa or his dad. But Jeremiah's pretty young, so I'm assuming it's probably his grandpa or something. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah,
1: it's cool to see the universe expanding, though. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, and they uh, have a you know uh, an animal pun there about him being long in the tusk. <laughs> ha! I didn't. T- <laughs>
1: I don't think I caught that, but excellent job, excellent pun.
0: Yeah. So. CJ and Stacy are walking around, and they find out that uh, Captain Horatio is looking for someone to take care of the lighthouse because he got hurt, hurt his back, and CJ wants to do it, and he goes to meet Captain Horatio, and this is probably the funniest part of the story where (laughs) Captain Horatio keeps trying to pawn off these Brussels sprouts that the nurse is trying to make him eat. Yeah it is 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 fun like even i know i'm an adult too and i don't like brussels sprouts so i can totally sympathize with them
1: no they're they're evil um (laughs) and i honestly really laughed out loud at the end because i thought that he liked the brussels sprouts i guess i missed the line where he didn't want them and then at the final line cj says would it be okay if i take them and go bury them in the woods somewhere he's like no that's fine (laughs) that was funny but having it four times Kind of made it by the fourth time on my second listen through, I thought, okay, that went on for one tick too long. And just changing it by that one tick would have made it fine, but it just, a eh, little too long for me.
0: Well, at least it's different a little bit every time. Like, he talks about yeah, it, He yeah. Says, says plainly, okay, did you want some of my Brussels sprouts? Then no thanks. And then he asks, like, oh, I'm sure you can do this, do this, do this. Eat your Brussels sprouts. Like, he kind of sneaks that in, in there. and It is kind of funny, yeah. Yeah. I, I think it was fine. It doesn't, it's not necessarily like the comedy rule with three... The comedy role of three there, but I, I, I think it worked. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was okay. So CJ does get the job, and on his way up there, he meets, I think, the first bird that we get to meet in Paws and Tails, Timothy Owl. What did you think of Timothy?
1: He doesn't exist, because that's the only reason I can figure out to justify his existence. Either he is just a metaphor for CJ's con- his conscience, or he definitely should not be around CJ and he shows up at the weirdest places. It doesn't make sense. So, um, I'm wanting to think he's his conscience. If he's not, what is he doing? What is, why is he here?
0: I don't know. So I don't think it's a spoiler and I don't, I know I can kind of see how you can see that, but you know, there are some parts of pause and tales where some things may be kind of, uh, almost allegorical to a certain extent, but still real. Yeah. We'll, we'll get into that, uh, more like in season three, but, Timothy Israel. real.
1: Um, and that's all, that's all fine and everything, but there are just a couple weird rules in this episode where it wouldn't be weird for this episode to have Timothy Owl just be CJ's conscience. I think that'd be perfectly fine. But it is weird that you've, like, because this series takes such a high, I guess, puts a high standard on morality and responsibility to then turn around and subvert that in a very strange way at the end of the episode. It's weird the rules the episode is, decides to follow and doesn't. I'll put it that way. Uh, Timothy Owl being one of them, but anyway,
0: he exists, and I don't like him one bit. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're not meant to like him. No, right. <laughs> he's real, and he's a real pest. But at the same time, I guess we're kind of a little get getting a little bit ahead of ourselves. But I guess we could probably go and talk about it here. It's kind of strange. Like it's kind of not the norm. Usually when owls or anthropomorphic. I knew I, I probably should know not to use that word because I probably would have been able to pronounce it. Anthropomorphized. Usually when owls are like that, they're meant to be like the good guys or like the wise ones. But he's not, he's more like worldly wise. I think in the discussion Ah. uh, guide for this episode, it talks about like you, you think that they would be, but he's not. And at the same time, he sometimes says some things that are right, but he bends the truth. And gets CJ to do things that he shouldn't. He starts out kind of, you know, kind of, okay, this is, it's not too bad and all that. And just, it works it up to like, you know, full-fledged, you know, lying and that kind of stuff. And he's an interesting character. I don't think it's too much of a spoiler to say he does appear in at least one more episode in the future. So if it is
1: a spoiler, you don't have to answer it, but is there some kind of mystery being set up here as to
0: why Timothy Owl acts the way he does? Um, I don't think so. I think it's just more like a character tick okay. for him. Why? So I'm thinking, again, this is you know near the end of the series. The next time he appears, I think it's a little bit better. Actually, okay. Actually, it's a little bit different the next time he appears. I, I don't want to spoil anything on that, that aspect. But he does appear in at least one episode, and I'll say just say that much. But this episode and the episode after this do have elements of stuff that will reappear in future stories and are part... Of kind of the ongoing story arc in the series, okay, but i'll I'll leave it at that all right, well, now, I guess I'll wait then, so actually, the thing that bugged me the most about Timothy in this episode was the sound effects for the wings,
1: oh right, no, they are at a very low rate,
0: yeah, well, it wasn't necessarily that it sounded so canned, like That's it didn't what I sound mean. like it didn't sound like there was much e q done on it. It didn't sound super convincing, I guess, yeah, and in future episodes, I think it sound it does sound better. Um, when they do it for him and other birds, but for this, like that was the part. Like, mm, yeah, I didn't quite enjoy that part. Right. It's it's little things like that that I honestly
1: wouldn't mind his character if he were different, but not really liking his character in the first place, and then having the wings on top of that. I'm thinking he could have made a couple of different changes there. But given Pause and Tales' history with little things like that, most of the episode is fine, and then one thing is off. I'm okay with it. It's okay.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he constantly tells CJ, you know, be careful, or you might fall down the rocks and get smashed to smithereens, which does get tiresome, and CJ calls him out on that, too.
1: <laughs> so, question here. Just thinking through the logic, if Captain Horatio hurt himself by falling off the ladder, doing a dangerous task, he then entrusts this dangerous task to one boy with no accountability and expects him to do the same task without getting hurt. I feel like I'm having an extreme sense of déjà vu because I think we just talked about something like this in a previous Paws and Tales episode. What D- did this happen?
0: I don't think quite the quite the same kind of situation with it, but okay. One Captain Horatio is older. He sounds like he's kind of elderly, so his balance and that kind of stuff would probably be less than what it would be for like a kid or someone younger than him. Yeah, and it was more of the danger of the that he brought up, like you know, on the ladder and that kind of stuff. But, you know, at the same time, this is kind of this the time period that these stories kind of happen, like early 20th century, like late 19th century kind of thing. Yeah. Kids had a lot more responsibility, I think, and are expected to do a lot more back then than they are now. So that's probably also a a bit of us looking at it like from like our modern perspective. But yeah, I can see there is a little bit of a suspense of disbelief. Yes, exactly. That's what it is. You got to It goes just a little bit me a little bit too far if you think about it too much but with the way the time period works and with the series works i think it's okay
1: well i'm fine with that for a lot of things but when you make that the driving point of the episode i'm okay with suspending the idea that these characters are animals it's even funny for that but when the end of the episode the moral is you had this responsibility and you didn't follow through on it my main pushback is okay why is that well he had it because it was given to him okay why was it given to him because he's a child. It's not really that too much of a stretch to be asking these questions. So I know what you mean, and I think there is a better explanation in here somewhere. I just don't have
0: it. Well, we might get into this a little bit more later on. Okay. So yeah. All right. So I guess we probably go ahead and talk about the glove that might get salty. <laughs> is that a real thing? Well, the salty sea air. Eh, okay, sure. Basically, CJ, he stumbles upon this... Nice baseball glove, and he's being on a baseball team. And Timothy Owl convincing him to keep it. Hey, at first, he says, "Like you know, just hold on to it. The owner's found." Like there, that, there sounds like okay. That sounds kind of reasonable. But then he kind of again with CJ thinking about it, and then Timothy kind of prodding him to go on. Okay, maybe it's keeping it, not saying anything about it, that kind of stuff. But his kind of thing, he's like, "You know, you don't want to leave it out here. It's going to get ruined. No You know, you, nobody likes a salty glove." And he's right, but it's it's kind of a slippery slope. Exactly. But I don't know. If it's real leather, do you remember if it was like real leather or not? I don't remember.
1: Uh, we can assume it is.
0: Yeah. I know. I don't know much about that kind of stuff, so I'm wondering if, if it was real leather, if it really would be affected by sea air for a good while or not. Yeah. Either way, despite the reasoning
1: from Timothy Owl, I would agree, pick it up and take it either home or to a lost and found somewhere besides the sea or the ocean shore. Mm-hmm. Just so, yeah. or is it the
0: bay? I don't know. At least leave it in the lighthouse. Yeah.
1: Somewhere where whoever lost it would know to get it.
0: So at this point, I'm not sure of the the actor that plays CJ in these episodes, but I think that's probably one of his probably my least favorite performance from him. I think in this episode he didn't have the kind of the kind of energy he has like in the next episode. This episode it seems like he kind of he's kind of phoning it in, which I know it is a kid a kid playing it and, pro- and probably not a professional child actor, but in this episode I felt like I think the kind of energy he had in Uh, a race against time would have been kind of nice with this he doesn't really raise his voice really do a whole lot sound much different more than just a little bit more of the monotone than like when he's kind of yelling at the people near the end of the baseball game or whatever yeah so i think that's also a kind of thing that kind of brought the episode down a little bit
1: right i think indicative of this is his line when i think he's been in the lighthouse for one or two scenes already and then he's cleaning i think he's polishing the mirror Timothy Owl shows up, and he goes, Mr. Owl, you scared me. Yeah. <laughs> that's. <not laughs> I was expecting, Mr. Owl, you scared me. Something like that. You almost knocked me off the ladder. Yeah, something something like that. <laughs> but not just a, a, a very monotone, oh, Mr. Owl, you scared me. And, and I found that as a director of audio drama, you never blame your actors for that stuff. It's always your responsibility, Mr. Director. So I uh, – you know that objective rubric I have for Odyssey episodes? Yeah. With – acting. Uh, I've changed both of them to directing. So, like, overall directing and then individual directing. Hmm, interesting. So, as a director, you gotta make sure you get the lines you want, and if you leave that line in, that's on you. That's not on the actor.
0: I kind of agree to a certain extent, but there is to the point that if you aren't as trained in that field, you aren't going to get quite as good as if you were trained a little bit better.
1: Sure, but that's still the director's fault because the director agreed to the casting of that person. I I talked to John Fornoff about this at SonicCon. It was a really interesting discussion that I will release eventually. (laughs) It just hasn't come out yet at the time of this review.
0: Well... There's several other reviews at this point that I haven't reviewed uh haven't released yet, so it <laughs> no. may, it may
1: happen. Both Johnson the parks. <laughs> no. I'm
0: al- I'm almost I'm about maybe 25% done of the first one on the park one. I got back to editing a- that after I finished doing the Christmas episode. So hopefully that'll be out before the end of the year, the first part. Dude, this is why you got a zero pass it. Anyway, <laughs> go back to this. So, another funny line in here f- was uh from Timothy Owl when uh, he tells cj you know the good book says you know finders keepers losers weepers and <laughs> cj pushes his back against that it says the bible doesn't say that it says yes it does it's right there in levexodus Vexodus. <laughs> right, a- right like right around the- where it says you know wait how however so many minutes before you swim that was such a funny <laughs> line <laughs> that's
1: really funny but wasn't that at the scene where he was just showing up at cj's window in the middle of the night
0: yeah i think so that's creepy it is tell him to scram get out of there yeah well the thing is they're animals too and with birds they can fly anywhere they want
1: police call the police on this guy what are you doing
0: (laughs) yeah i don't know (laughs) and also too when i it was kind of funny too where he goes on kind of a rant and then he calls uh cj a worry war (laughs) do-gooder like you and he's like what like oh forget that last part or something like that
1: i feel like that line was really indicative of what timothy owl thinks of himself he's so he seems so puffed up with what he knows and how he's lived and the things that he's done to that if he sees anyone acting differently, he wants to push that person to act the way that he does. And that's why he thinks it's a responsibility to set CJ on the right path, if that makes sense in defining his character. It's completely wrong, and I don't know why he would think that, and I want to see his backstory, but that's the way he thinks, I-, I think. All right. Does that work? Does that fit?
0: I'll leave, I'll leave that there. I don't want to say too much. Okay. Well, if it's not that, then eh, nice theory anyway, I guess. <laughs> It comes to the point CJ doesn't like going up there as much, and he's, you know, getting kind of lax with his job, going there every other day and then every two or three days. And I think at the max it was like four days, and later on we found it was like up to six days he hadn't yeah. gone up there. Ugh. And there's parallels with this um, that we do that we'll probably talk more about later, about how it started small, and, you know, it just... Grew to a certain extent, right? Without him kind of realizing it, mm-hmm. and also going with that too, um, CJ is with Stacy at, at one of their practices or whatever, and one of the fourth graders. We don't ever get a name from the fourth grader, the one that actually owns the glove, which that seemed like it probably would have been good to have. Like, whoever it is, I don't think we ever hear from them again. But it would have been nice to have a name attached to make it. I don't know, have a little a more int- impact. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. I would agree, but in the meantime, it still does. It kind of works because we're not meant to like the fourth grader. He's kind of a jerk. But also, CJ just – well, he outright lies later on. Yeah, so we're talking about the parallel. The slippery slope for the lighthouse makes sense. It's shirking his responsibility, and it's more vague than having the glove and not doing anything about it. I think there's a good parallel up until CJ lies about the glove because that, I don't know – If that fits with the rest of his M.O., like the way he acts in this episode. I feel like I've said M.O. multiple times. It's fine. The way he's been acting with the glove is if I don't do anything, that's fine. And then eventually, once I'm asked to do the right thing, I will. Once I'm asked to do something specifically, I will. Now he's presented with that opportunity and lies about it. In doing so, he basically destroys his reliability. And so then for the other case, why are we expecting him to follow through on the lighthouse? I don't expect him to. And so then when he does, I think it's in spite of what he was meant to do. So I don't think the episode had to destroy CJ's reliability in the process of making a good episode. That's just the, my idea here. Like, maybe it would have been more impactful to have it be. CJ realizes, oh, yeah, here's, here's your glove. And then he's like, oh, man, if only I had done what I was supposed to do. Fog rolls in. Oh, no. Do something like that. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, it it wouldn't have been as dramatic, though, if that was the case. I feel like
1: it would have been, though. (laughs) I
0: don't know. Part of it also comes into, he starts coveting the glove. If it was just, you know, not quite sure what to do. If it's something that you didn't want, but he starts coveting it, like, he wants to use it. Like, that's, that was, like, probably, like, the next step or the next level. Like, he's falling a little bit there. And once he starts coveting it, then he starts lying, too. It's like one sin leads, one sin leads to another so it's kind of again, like you mentioned earlier, it's like kind of a slippery okay, slope there. It just gradually gets worse and worse with everything because he didn't, he didn't do more with it. Like, hey, bring it to town, like take it to the police station, and say, hey, you know, someone left this glove up there, and leave it at that. But he took it home, and and Timothy Al, of course, didn't help. I don't know. I don't know if CJ would have done all those things if Timothy Owl hadn't been prodding him. What do you think?
1: Um. Yeah, that's why I'm saying I'm thinking Timothy Owl is more of CJ's conscience if I can pin it on anything. And I think CJ would have acted this way regardless. Because otherwise it just puts Timothy Owl in a really weird spot that there's no comeuppance for. And I don't like that. So I'd rather this have been CJ's own action than prodding from Timothy Owl at all. So another thing here is does CJ ever actually give the glove back in this episode?
0: Oh, I did not realize that. That's a good point.
1: Yeah, it's kind of something important you probably should have done.
0: And I assume he would have after his kind of lesson with the lighthouse and his talk with Captain Horatio. I mean, there might have been a small point that kind of hinted at that, but I only listened to it today, and I didn't write anything about about that. So yeah, if that wasn't in there, that probably would have been a good choice to have. I guess you can kind of infer it. like it doesn't need to be spelled out all the way for you, but especially if you're trying to teach something like, okay, if he did, does he do this and make it right, or do we not?
1: It would just take two seconds of dialogue to fix.
0: We do get an episode. I've hinted at at this in a, some a, a past review ah. that there is a character, a ma- major character, that does something that things aren't quite resolved in that episode. Well,
1: that's fine as long as they acknowledge it's not resolved.
0: Well, yeah, c- to a certain extent, yeah. It like it's not. It doesn't wrap. Everything's not wrapped up with a bow in that episode.
1: Okay. I'm fine with that.
0: But I would say this is more open-ended and probably and not probably not in a good way. Yeah. So, I was wanting to talk about Timothy, I think talks about it with them, you know, like not saying anything about it. He said he I think he says specifically isn't really a sin, you know, saying nothing about it. Kind of, you know, it's kind of on the edge there with it. Like, yeah, did he not say like he was trying to reason out okay, like if he doesn't ask me and I don't say anything, is that not doing something like yes <laughs> really like if we were looking at like, a, like a crime or whatever like if you know information and you don't get it in are you accomplished yes yes so i think that yes even with him not saying anything especially with his intention to keep it or keep it as long as he has then i would think that would be something wrong
1: yeah and the problem here with that is and i think the episode i don't think the episode saying this i think this is just the answer Is that if CJ didn't know that it was somebody else's and he didn't say anything and he didn't report it, probably should turn it in. But that's less culpable than actually hearing that somebody uh, has lost this glove and needs to find it and not saying anything about it in that circumstance. Because now he knows what he's supposed to do with it and he's not ignorant anymore. If he's ignorant about it, that's one thing, but he's not. And that's what makes him guilty.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So in a way he's stealing because he knows that he's taken somebody that doesn't something that doesn't belong to him and he knows he knows that now. It's not just somebody who's lost it and maybe doesn't even live in Wildwood anymore is not gonna come back. That's a different case and that's why he takes it to the police and then if nothing happens then maybe you can claim it. But this isn't that case. So that's that's why that's that way. Mm-hmm.
0: We get to a point where Stacy, she questions him about, like, the glove and all that. And also about his schedule. And, I don't know, this line was kind of odd. It was kind of funny, but also kind of weird. She talks about, like, you know, last time we had a special schedule, yet we, we had to, like, flush two dozen goldfish down the you-know-what. Aww. Which is kind of it's kind of weird because they mention the word toilet back in a uh, correction course with that chamber pot thing. Oh, right. So I'm not sure why they felt the need to do it or they just felt that just the new you know what is funny it is than funnier saying it? it specifically although flushing goldfish down the toilet's always sad so yeah mm-hmm. but two dozen goldfish that sounds really that's a lot wow
1: and and so 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 yeah constant references to if cj is not has not proven himself to be reliable proves in this episode he's not reliable and is willing to lie and shirk his responsibility even though he knows it's wrong and yet still has the responsibility at the end of the episode? I think that's just foolish on the part of the – what's his face? The Wallers. What, what's his name again? I keep forgetting his yeah, name. Yeah, Captain,
0: Captain, Ara- Captain
1: Horatio. Horatio. Oh, because Horatio's Bafford. Oh, okay. So – oh! Oh, that just got dark. Okay, so on the part of Captain Horatio, why is he – let? so obviously he doesn't know that CJ is responsible, like irresponsible, right? He doesn't know about the goldfish. He doesn't know about the other stuff.
0: We have – uh the storm coming in and at the baseball game people in the crowd notice that hey there's no light and somebody like says like hey my husband or whoever's on the ship out there and that's a really scary thing it's like it is like you talk about it is a lot of responsibility you know lives are at stake here Mm -hmm. and i just felt it kind of odd that people they weren't wanting him to go up there because he wasn't responsible before but the thing is he i'm not sure why it took them so long to let him do it because if no one else knew how to do it like, oh, yeah, he understands now that, hey, he needs to do something. But I guess also the thing, panicking, they probably just think, I mean, not thinking clearly. But it just felt like, it felt like, eh, I don't think there should have been that much of a conflict there.
1: I don't know. It seems to make sense because it's sort of a boy who cried wolf scenario. Why would you trust him when there is a problem since he's done, since he's shirked his responsibility when there hasn't been a problem? Uh, but also, in addition to that, if he gets up there and he's th- he was that irresponsible when there wasn't an issue... Now that there is an issue, what if he like he hasn't been up there in six days? What if he's forgotten how to do it? What if he's missed something? What if there's a bigger problem that he's not able to
0: deal with? Ooh, yeah, yeah. So that I didn't think about that. That all
1: it all makes sense, but they do eventually let him go. So I get the hesitation in the first place.
0: Okay. Yeah. Okay. That's just me. Uh, I'm I'm glad you pointed that out. That ma- that makes it makes a little more sense to me now. And he gets up there. He's hurrying, and Timothy Owl comes, and he actually kind of get out of there.
1: Owl, leave.
0: Go. <laughs> <laughs> he kind of does help a little bit but he is acting like oh you got to do these things like when he's like i told you so you know not concerned about it before oh no, right you know the light goes through the ship is saved and then cj goes, goes and talks to captain horatio and talks about what he did and i i, I like the the talk he has with cj you know like how do you like did you know it was wrong when you're doing it he wasn't ignorant that those things were wrong like he, at first, like, you know, small, it may not have been as clear, but the more he went on, he should have been more aware of that. But the thing is, the more you go over those, those checks, you're more liable to do more and more bad things afterwards. And I, and he's also talking about, you know, sin always affects others too. And that is always the case, even though it's not as quite as visible as like, you know, wrecking a ship on the shore or whatever. I think he does a great job portraying Hey, hey, And he's not he's not mad or anything doesn't sound like, but he's, I mean, he's disappointed and he wants want to make sure that he's aware of what he did wrong and stuff like that. What, what, what did you think of the last scene?
1: I don't know if I liked the last scene at all. Like now that you've explained it even more, but I, and I don't, I don't even think this last scene was written for this episode because throughout this episode, I don't think CJ knows what the right thing was to do because he constantly had Timothy Owl there telling him the other thing. I think the right choice was being drowned out entirely, but even if he did, like, let's say that he was ignorant of it. That's something I think is excusable and allows him and, and makes it seem like that Captain Horatio can let him continue to be to work on the lighthouse. That makes sense. If he was if he just hadn't learned this stuff before. Now he has. It's going to be different in the future because CJ knew that it was wrong the whole time and he still did it. That means that there's, there's something going on that I don't know that just a little accident would fix. Maybe it did, sure, but I think that's a bigger issue, and I feel like the punishment should be a lot more severe in, that, in this scenario. But since there's no punishment in this scenario, what would be the less severe punishment than the other one? I feel like there should be a consequence either way, and that's not, there's not really anything levied here, levied here. And I don't really like that, so gotta go no on this one for me. Sorry. Sorry.
0: Well, I think also, too, with the, especially as a kid, with the thought on your mind that you that your lack of responsibility and lack of doing your job almost cost them their life, I think that's a pretty big punishment in itself. I mean, I mean, if his parents were aware of, aware of what he did and all that, yeah, they definitely should probably punish him. Something like that could weigh really heavy on them, and we don't, again, I don't, again, because the actor for CJ wasn't showing a lot of emotion, I felt that it probably could have been better in that last scene, like a little more remorseful sounding. again i think just the idea that he almost caused someone to lose their lives that would be something real heavy to one reinforce you shouldn't do this and be more careful in the future
1: i mean i don't know about you but if cj was irresponsible enough to miss it in the first place then i'm wondering how much how how mature he is to actually let that sink in because when I was younger, and when I know a lot of people, a lot of kids who are like this, if there isn't actually anything bad that happens from a bad decision, and he can just run at the last minute and fix it, he's going to do it again. I don't know if you heard our review of the team on the Odyssey Scoopcast, but that was one of Timmy's things on that episode, is that if you, even if you know that what you did was wrong... If you find some way out of it, your brain is going to make that connection there so that in the future you think, okay, I know I'm doing the right thing. I'm not doing something wrong by not doing it, but I can rush in at the last moment and save everyone when the time is right. And because CJ didn't see the ship coming in, he didn't see any of the people who were saved. We don't get any indication of that. I'm wondering if he actually learned his lesson. I don't know if he did. And that's that's just me.
0: Well, I don't think it will spoil anything but cj does become a little more mature as the series does progress oh good especially like in the middle to end of season two and through season three he does become a lot more level-headed and that's probably because david carl writes the majority of the episodes and after this season he writes probably like 90 95 of all the episodes so it may also be just a also a an issue of a you know just uh continuity and that kind of stuff but there are events that happen before CJ does get a little more mature, so I think, you know, it's not explicitly said here, but this and other events that happen to him does make him into a, a better person. That's good. That's good to hear. So, before we talk about the song, I was to talk a little bit more of the subject here. Uh, there's some really great notes here from David Carl in the director's notes. I'm not going to read all of it because there are kind of some little bit spoilers here, but he says... Temptation rarely roars in like a locomotive. Most often, it creeps in slowly and quietly like a fog. The old illustration of the frog in the hot water comes to mind. If you place a frog in hot water, he'll jump right out. However, being cold-blooded, if you slowly heat the water that he's already in, he'll happily sit there as he's cooked alive. That's the nature of temptation and the theme of the lighthouse. And I'm going to skip down a little bit here. It says, Sin is not just bad, it is terrible. It is not terrible only when we get caught, it is terrible in the very nature sin is rebellion against God. I want to communicate to kids that temptation is not to be trifled with, and that sin is always the enemy. Sin can cause harm to innocent people, as was illustrated in the episode of the incoming ship. We must be on our guard and learn to absolutely hate sin. This foundation truth foundational truth is an ongoing theme throughout Paul's tales. Sin is not funny; it is not an occasional oops. sin is insidious. it is not something to which we should grow accustomed. If we do, we will wake up one day and realize we are about to be boiled. We are about to be boiled alive and the episode doesn't go that strong with it, but I like that he does realize this. In other episodes, we do find out the consequences were some pretty major con- consequences that people in the show find out about. And at a start, like I said, it's not, not the greatest of episodes with it, but that they're trying to communicate th- these truths to kids, I think, is very, very commendable.
1: Yeah, the idea of, I think, rewards or the rewards complex of you did that you made this choice and you got this reward okay so now at this point we talk about in actually if i can talk about what i learned in in, high, in college uh there's something called a greedy algorithm that you can use that will make the best choice at each step and it's called greedy because it i, I don't know if this is uh, symbolic of anything but it seems like what CJ's doing is kind of a greedy algorithm here where he's making the step of, okay, what if I skip one day? That's fine. Okay, so what if I skip another day? And he's trying to make the best choice for him at each step, not realizing that it's a slippery slope he's going on. So that makes sense. I just wish that David Carl didn't use the frog analogy because it's just totally bogus. But I get what he's saying. It's fine.
0: So going on to the song, uh, Still Small Voice, which I'm not I'm not a fan, a fan of this type of music, but I can kind of tell it's probably like something from almost like it's trying to mimic music from, like, the 80s or 90s. And, again, like, this came out, like, in the early 2000s. So there's probably some music going on with this kind of style with it. But what did you think of it? I thought it was fine. But I thought
1: that the whole episode was just a build-up for this song. Honestly. Sometimes I feel... Sometimes it feels that way, especially considering how long this song was. And how more, I guess, thematically coherent this song was. Maybe the other, Maybe the rest of the episode was fine. Maybe it's okay. But... Sometimes I get the idea, these songs are at the end of every episode, and sometimes they're great, sometimes they're okay, and in the case of Correction Course, they just describe the whole episode. So, I don't know. I guess it was fine. I like the style of song.
0: Well, one part of it, I, I didn't really care much for this song. I mean, lyric-wise, I think I think it's good, but one thing that drives me crazy on almost any kind of song that uses it is that fade out. I can hardly. Probably... There's very few songs that I like to listen to that just just fade out. I'd rather have it just like a stop just stop the music a little bit there But me, it's just it's just me. I don't like when <laughs> songs kinda fade out, especially songs that, you know, are very repetitive. I'd rather it just stop at a certain point. Okay. Like there's a song I've I've listened to that it stops like a normal thing and then it a few seconds of silence and then it starts up again and then it fades out. Like, why would you do that? Why you you could have just had a fade at the end of the the, the full part of the song, but that's, that's just this the music critic and me talking. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it, it's going to be a music critic. I I appreciate that. I had this of my notes here um before we move on to the next episode. But uh, devil is louder than small voice. So I think I can't remember where in the Bible it talks about like basically like the devil kind of comes in like a flood. Huh. And and I've I've heard I heard taught in my church like usually usually Satan talks to you. He's very like abrupt like kind of in your face kind of thing. Where like this song and like stuff like with Elijah and that kind of stuff, you know, it's a still small voice. God isn't, he's not pushy. The devil's pushy. God won't be overbearing to people when he's trying to get them to do something, but the devil tries to, you know, constantly hammer, hammer stuff at people. It's we gotta be very, we gotta be very in tune with God and keep her, keep her faith up to date because the devil is gonna try his best to try to overcome the conscience that god gave us which we hear like coming with Timothy Owl kind of drowning that out but it is something that listening to this episode again the song just kind of made me think about mm-hmm. uh one thing i thought
1: immediately upon hearing Timothy Owl was i am 19th century russian philosopher filtered through the mind of middle school girl <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's funny yep yep talking about that Speaking of another episode in which the conscious doesn't directly appear, but I think
0: did a fantastic job at
1: representing how the devil uses deception.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. Yep. So overall thoughts on this episode, it's not the best Pauses and Tales episode. I don't think it's it's worse. It's mm, it's probably toward the end of like the lower end of like the episodes. I think it. I think had some you know some funny moments. I think the music pretty good. I don't think there's anything major about it. The sound sound design. I just that one nitpick I really had for the. The canned, canned wings right. or whatever sound. <laughs> hey, you want some canned wings? <laughs> uh, <laughs> At the beginning, <laughs> Captain Horatio, you want some canned wings? Uh, no. <laughs> no, want Brussels sprouts instead? No. <laughs> and 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 the song too wasn't my cup of tea, but I I feel that it was pretty produ- I think it was produced well. Mm-hmm. So overall thoughts on this episode for you?
1: Not a fan. Most uh, like overall, um, there are some parts about it that I I think were funny like the brussels sprouts line at the end but in general i i think the episode could have been made a lot more solid if a couple different decisions were made and i just don't think those those really worked here
0: okay all right so moving on to episode 11 a race against time it's a little bit interesting uh on the cds for pause and Tales, it has the credits printed on there and it just has jeff white credited as the writer but at the end of the credits in the episode it says jeff white and david carl so i'm assuming jeff white did the bulk of this maybe david carl just did a little bit with it i guess mm-hmm. so the director was david carl music by tim Hosman, sound design by eric basil and then the song when your neighbor is in need written by sandy howe and nick brown and i like th- the narrator for or the announcer whatever for the series mm-hmm. there sometimes like how he talks about like with it standing alone like it's a really good introduction i think and this one too about you know it's kind of a busy time like mr brown went to train station three times four times like he forgot his lunch and you know they had traffic areas like a wagon Two wagons trying to almost collided and talk about a stop sign. It's just like, I don't know, something about that introduction. is kind of, it's kind of getting you into like this busyness feel, which kind of goes into like people not helping, too busy or whatever. But I just like the introduction that he starts with and then leads into um, the fix-it shop and the Cubs talking with Papa Chuck,
1: especially tying into the end with the sort of ominous feel he gives the ending of this. I think the narrator working throughout this. I don't know how much he appears in the middle of the episode. I feel like he's more at the beginning of the end, but he's good. I agree with you there.
0: Yeah. So the Cubs are talking about how they had helped somebody, I guess the wagons that almost collide or whatever, that they are helping or helping someone like pick up vegetables and all that. They were the only one helping. And I think Stacy mentioned, yeah, Stacey mentions about, you know, he's, they offered, I think CJ and me, Stacy to help them pick it up, by paying them and they're fighting over like whether or not they would have done without being paid, which it's a good, I think that's a good, uh, it's a good setup for kind of the story that will happen later, like helping others out. And if someone has a problem, if you help them out or whatever. I think it's a good seg- not quite a segue. It's a good setup, I think, for how the story will progress later.
1: Yeah, uh, I'll withhold my comments.
0: <laughs> okay. And Popovich Chuck mentions uh, about the Cubs working for him on Saturday and mentions he's going to pay them with shingles for the fort. So, yeah, they're they're still working on that thing, so... if they got got shingles then i assume they have a roof already maybe
1: yeah we're nearing the episode we're nearing episode 15 which we covered a long time ago in which they still don't have a name for the club and stuff uh but put a pin in the idea that they're getting paid for this just just a little pin right there just remember that
0: (laughs) okay and then also i like the line too like when they are leaving they're still fighting and the announcer says like you know oh don't worry about the cubs um you know After a while, they'll forget about what they fought about and they'll be back to normal again. Announcers and narrators for some shows. Sometimes like if they're not a full character in the show, but they're just kind of like a a third party observer. But I, I like when it's done well, I think it works really well with his comments and that kind of stuff. His interjections there like it's a show that I think you probably could do without the narrator. But I think there's enough of a I like his voice. and There's enough of the writing for him that I think I prefer it with the narration in this.
1: Yeah, having a narrator is sort of a—I don't know how to put it. It's—it's it's something in the Christian media critic or er, criticism community where you don't do it. You don't use a narrator, but here it's fine. I—I I think it's charming. It—it kind of adds to the feel. and It's done well consistently in every episode or most episodes, and I don't—I don't mind it. I think it was done. I think it was done well.
0: Mm-hmm. So we come to the next day, and CJ and Stace are there, and so I wrote this down here. So this is basically what they're supposed to do for public talk. They're supposed to take a to Mister Snarf. Pick up apples from Mr. Crawford, go to the library to get measurements for Miss Downing, get those measurements to the sawmill. If they don't get those measurements in, then Public Chuck's work week will be ruined if they can't make it.
1: Put a pin in that too. His work week's gonna be ruined. All these pins. There's two so far. Remember them? I don't know.
0: <laughs> yeah, this review has several points. I don't know where I was going with there. I'm thinking Wooten's broken pencil show. I guess maybe. I don't know.
1: <laughs> not the 43 reality checks from the the Scoopcast. Anyway, keep going. Sorry.
0: <laughs> so they go to the first place. Um, they got take the saw with them. I'm not sure what your opinions are on this, but I found this scene with the Snarfs very funny. We get uh Eric Basil, I think, is Mr. Snarf here, and this guy is basically yelling at his wife because she's hard of hearing, and that startles Stacy. She yells and to cj's ear they keep having this conversation It keeps going on it it feels like an Abbott and costello routine which i i love Abbott and costello's you know, like who's on first and that kind of stuff it feels like something written for that and i feel like it was good comedy with this um it may be kind of annoying because it's, because of the screaming as as much but i i find it so funny like you know you're whispering like when they try to stay quiet like i'm not trying to yell i'm trying to be quieter, but she's still annoyed by that and then it also sounds like stacy is starting to kind of enjoy it and she's kind of <laughs> laughing at doing it like just kind of joy joy and gelling and cj's ear <laughs> so what, what did you think of that scene
1: i'm willing to concede that my cynicism and generally my annoyance at this scene is just chalked up to me having a, a crazy finals week so well, let's just let's just call it that
0: i don't really have any thoughts i <laughs> uh, did it any part of it make you laugh or chuckle any or just cringe uh,
1: not not really i more wanted to be like just get out of there just just leave the house if i had listened to this any other month, any other week, I probably would have been fine. It's just been a hard school week, dude. And I don't know. I don't know if it's just funny because of that, but I'm like, so these kids are already on a schedule. I think that making making the humor a bit more applicable would have been instead of having her scream because she obviously doesn't like it when people are quiet. I'm, I'm trying to figure it out. Do people who are hard of hearing really talk like that? I think it'd be more uh, of a chest voice than a, a head voice. How you're screaming and. For her, it it seemed like it was more played for the joke than for, or more like we're trying to make this funny because it's funny, which works for Abbott Costello and works if I'm in the right frame of mind. Rather than we're she's not trying to make this funny, and by not making it funny, it's actually funny.
0: Well, it's also too like usually like when there's that you know people can't hear what they're saying like and they repeat it but the wrong way. I mean that's that's quite that's used quite a bit. So I'm kind of glad they didn't go that route. They did something different and unique, rather than just find, rather than just going with the old trope like, "Uh oh yeah, Reverend Rain today. What what's that you say? You sprain? You got a sprain? You know that kind of stuff." I think this works better. <laughs> Connie, where is everyone? Was it fun?
1: Well, yeah, it was fun. <laughs> That's hilarious. That's fantastic. But with this one, it doesn't sound like she's like Bart. It sounds like she's just an angry, screaming. I don't know. I don't know what. What kind of animal is she?
0: I don't know. I don't think they talk. Ab- I don't think they say. Yeah. So I. I was just more
1: scared of her than actually, uh, humored by her. And so I. That's why I thought, okay, just get out of there. Just mm-hmm. leave,
0: please. Yeah. And then they mentioned uh, Stacey says her throat hurts, and Stacey said his ears ringing. And I like these little things. I, I haven't written down at each each area here. They said they have thirty minutes left. They have like an hour to do this basically. And at this point. Oh, they got 30 minutes, so I guess it took them quite a bit to walk over there and the time spent there, which, again, it's not like real time. When you're doing this kind of stuff, you know, it's not gonna always going to be exactly like second for second, minute for minute, or whatever. But they got 30 minutes left, and they get to the general store, we get to hear from Mr. Crawford again. Yeah. Steve Bridges. <laughs> Who else? He shows up maybe two or three times in this episode.
1: No, he's three times, because he's he's here, he's Mr. Crawford, he's the the buffalo in the library, and
0: he's also the skunk. Yep good call you, you got them all
1: yeah i you've challenged me to recognize Steve bridges and i'm doing it now so yeah
0: okay awesome so yeah it and also with this the time period these you know these stories happening you know they're kind of excited about them getting candy and all that and talk about, you have banana flavored taffy come in which i have to say i do not like banana i do not like banana flavored taffy like I, when I was a kid, I used to eat quite a bit like laffy taffy and Dude. stuff. And I got the banana one. I would never eat it. Like I would not eat it. I mean, I tried it maybe once oh. or twice, but I would, I would just not what? eat it. All the other flavors were good, but I just didn't no, want no, the banana. No, no.
1: Give me banana runts and banana laffy taffy
0: any day. So you like? So I guess you were CJ. You like that fakey banana flavor, not the real flavor. Oh, is it fake? Yeah, because I think like the laffy taffy remembers it was fake. I don't know. I think I like both,
1: <laughs> but I, I did think that was genuinely funny.
0: Yeah, and. Uh Stacy about she likes licorice drops, which I think that's even the worst candy. I just Ooh. cannot stand licorice, especially I black know. licorice. What Okay, why am I positive on the candy and you're negative <laughs> on it the... Or like
1: and, and and you're negative on it and why am I negative on the episode and you're positive? I don't understand. What is going on today?
0: Uh oh well, it's fun. It's 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 fun <laughs> to not be an in increment all the time. It'd be boring if we always were <laughs>
1: No, I mean we're disagreeing on everything, but I'm positive on the stuff that I. <laughs> it's just, yeah, the,
0: the unimportant. Unimport- yeah, the unimportant stuff. <laughs>
1: <laughs> the actual important stuff. All right, continue. <laughs> uh,
0: Stacy, I guess uh, you hear CJ. He's you know talking with his mouthful, like chewing the taffy, and then Stacy's talking, and I guess she drops the candy out of her mouth. Which I don't, I don't know. Uh, that's kind of like, eh. yeah, I wasn't really expecting that, but. Yeah, it's, it's really... Wasn't there a line about, like, here, you can clean it up or something? Yeah, just pick it up and throw it away, please. (laughs) That's fine. So, they get the apples, which, it turns out, it wasn't a bag of apples like they were thinking. It was a whole bushel. But at least Mr. Crawford was nice enough to give him a wheelbarrow to carry it. And they realized that they got 20 minutes left to get to the sawmill.
1: Yeah, so, here's a question, real quick. If they were already on a time crunch, they realized this... Why didn't they go to get the measurements and then give them to the sawmill and then go back and get the apples?
0: Uh, i have to think about that. Like, if we're
1: assuming these kids are smart, based on the the end of the episode, we're kind of dipping into Ridel territory here. And honestly, I'm perfectly fine with it. I don't mind the setup at all in this episode. I think it's brilliant. But... If these kids are responsible enough to do this, why wouldn't the creative move be to go get the measurements first? Because that's what would ruin Papa Chuck's week, assuming that the store is probably going to be open a little while longer. And especially because they know Mr. Crawford and he's probably going to keep it open or he's probably going to have the apples for him. Like we don't get any indication that the store is going to close, right? I don't think so. It could just be an oversight, but maybe at the time that they noticed it was a a huge bushel of apples, they could have said, okay, how about we leave these here? We come back and get them right after we do this. That's just my question.
0: Well, I think it also comes to the point, to, too, that they probably thought they could do all this real easy within an hour, but because, spoiler alert, we'll talk about it later, but the people were trying to keep them from being on time, so they probably thought, okay, we're in this deep, and they just made it, you know, again, like kind of a panic kind of thing, just moving around, mm-hmm. but yeah. Anyway, yeah, that's possibly a little plot hole there, but anyway, moving on. So they're trying to, you know, balance... These apples and all that. I guess the movie isn't all that great, or they just, they're just not real strong. But apples are going everywhere, and they talk to somebody. I don't think we get his name with this, and he kind of acts like he's going to help, like it he might help, and then he doesn't. And for a, quite a while, I was a little bit confused because they yell like, "Hey, Mr. Garcia," and here's something in the background like, "I'd love to, I'd love to, but I can't." For a while, I thought that that was the same person they're talking to. Oh. <laughs> It's not. It's a different person. So they. So I guess that's two people they no, talked yeah. to on the street that tried to do it. And for some reason, that confused me a little bit. It sounded kind of odd. Like, why are you calling out after him after <laughs> he already said no or whatever? But it was more re- more recently that I listened to some of these to this episode and fairly fairly recently. I guess I don't know. Maybe the last time or the time before this. That uh, kind of picked that up. Okay, that is a different person because you can hear in the background it's a different voice than the person that was talking to them before.
1: I think it was an interesting touch. He's got a Hispanic accent named Mr. Garcia. It's not so bad. And then the first guy, he's a little bit more hesitant in the thing that he's trying to say. And then he kind of heads off without really really the same deeper Hispanic accent that Mr. Garcia has. So just from those two things, the mannerisms
0: and the accent itself, I could tell who it was. Yeah. It also helps when you're listening to it in headphones. Yeah. Headphones are great. (laughs) So – this is a great thing that happened this episode. We finally get to hear Officer Hunt for the first time. What did you think about him? Oh, really? Oh, he's a cool guy. I like how there's a police officer that the kids are uh, happy to talk to and they're not scared of him. Like,
1: oh, no, you're going to arrest me or, or whatever. No, they actually look up to him, which is great. I like that.
0: We hear, from, like, we hear about Officer Hunt from, like, standing alone quite a bit. And I think we may hear about him, a l- yeah, I think we hear about him, like, in Grace to Hugh. Um, refresher, he is a, he is a wolf. And he's he's one of the, my fa he's one of my favorite uh secondary characters in the series. I, I like his voice quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's good. Uh he seems to have a good personality. Was he in
1: the perfect Christmas gift? Mm mm-hmm. that was it, right?
0: No, that was the Doctor. Doc Wolves. Okay. Just wondering. So he is the first one to help, which you find out later he's the only I guess he's the only one that wasn't trying to slow them down which I'm wondering were the people on the street those two people they talked to were those people that Papa Chuck had to not help them or those people just not willing to help I feel like no yeah I feel like the people that like at the library and like the at the general store and the snarfs and all that there's they were supposed to but the other people like you can't get everybody in Wildwood I guess to go along with this
1: yeah and and in addition I feel like there's a tiny parallel being set up here between this and what eventually happens and with the Good Samaritan story, but these people are not going to help these kids because these kids are getting paid. One, These kids are getting paid for this. And I don't even think Officer Hunt should have helped to them. I think it was nice that he did, but I think this is something they should have
0: figured out how to handle on their own, you
1: know? Maybe that's just me.
0: So, around this time before they, before they leave, they, so they've got 15 minutes left, so they go to the library, and... <laughs> I'm th- like I said. Usually, their names don't always go along with the kind of animal they are. But Miss Downy, like you know, down like a feather Aww. a goose. Yeah. I, I don't, I'm not sure how how soon I actually caught on to that, but I think that was intentional. Mm-hmm. She is hilarious.
1: And this is another one of those things of it. It doesn't make sense. She's she's not only honking, which is funny, but then she's just talking louder normally, which doesn't make sense. I don't get it. What are you talking about?
0: Yeah, and she's gonna like she's saying it loudly, like, "Shh, this is a library." And it's just funny because usually when you hear that kind of joke, you're like, shh, this is a library kind of thing. And uh, like CJ says, like, you know, she's shushing me. And then like, Stacey's says, like, why would anyone hire or have a goose work in a library or whatever? Yeah, But the thing is, not all the animals do the attributes that we think of them doing. So it's funny for the moment. But if you think about it too yeah. much, it doesn't work as much with the continuity of the series. But it's it's funny. It's a it's a fun It's a fun, fun moment, I think.
1: Well, since the episode is two decades old and I can't really, you can't really fix it at this point, or I don't know when this came out, probably, was it 2001? I don't remember. Yeah, I think around that time. (laughs) Since this episode is 20 years old at this point, and also because, you know, it's already been produced, obviously you can't fix it, but if I were writing this, uh, just from what I've seen, uh, I'd probably, or directing this, I'd probably have it be that the defining trait that why would you hire a goose is just the honk and then have everything else be quiet (laughs) and, and that alone be what they're concerned about. You know what I mean? Like, actually have her be whispering and then have her every once in a while when she honks. Because it is funny, but it's just weird when she's talking a lot all the time. It just seems like she's not being trained well, and that's that's weird.
0: Okay, so here's something a little bit funny, because when I first started listening to the series, when it f- was first aired on the radio, I thought I, – I got kind of confused with Goose's name. It almost sounded like goose. I didn't know how to spell goose. Like it's, I think it's like G O O Z E. I think. I think it's just G O O Z, right? Uh, yeah, it might. I have to look that up again. But it's something like that. But it, it almost sounded to me like, as a kid, I was like, it almost sounded like she was talking about her friend Goose in it. So you know, that's my little kid brain there. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I miss Goose. Where's my favorite character?
0: Oh yeah, that's right. She's not in any of these two. Oh, Yeah, it is G O O Z. That's it. Well, she is in the next episode, so you got something to look forward to there. Okay. So we get to hear from another animal, uh, Thurston the buffalo, and he also has a interesting speech pattern there. And the narrator talked about, you know, it's a very large buffalo, buffalo sitting behind a very small desk, and you kind of feel like he's he's kind of not quite in control of all it, all his movements because it's because he's so big and like being sitting in, like a small chair or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it seemed kind of odd when I was a kid, like his way he said about. It may just also try to, like, okay, do a different voice that doesn't sound like, you know, Mr. Crawford or anybody else, maybe.
1: Right. No, it was, it was good. It was different than his other characters, and I, I liked it. Was he the hardest one to figure out that it was Steve Bridges? Nah, Steve Bridges is pretty, e- pretty easy by this point. But of the three, I guess, yeah. Just because, st- well, actually, I think the skunk might have been a little bit harder. Because he was playing a different kind of character I, didn't, I hadn't really seen before.
0: So they get the measurements there, and they're almost to the sawmill, and they—I guess—they smell first, and then they see a skunk, uh, Edgar that's by the side of the road, and yeah. you know they're holding their nose, and you can kind of hear that and their voice, which I'm glad they did that. Yeah,
1: just with CJ, not really with Stacy.
0: Yeah, I guess so. I guess I maybe mean, she doesn't have a st- uh sensitive nostrils or something.
1: I thought you were gonna say maybe this,
0: she doesn't have a nose. No, she does. <laughs> she does. Oh uh, yeah, all she's, right. She's a bear. They they can smell pretty well. Yeah, he thought lot that he got hurt, they handled him in the head, and he was shocked or surprised or whatever, and he you know, sprayed, he was scared or whatever. I'm so glad us humans don't have that uh, tendency because that'd be really awful. Like, all these animals, if they were real, or we were like animals like that, having all those the different quirks that animals ha- have or the different talents or whatever, that'd be really odd if we had that. But.
1: Plot twist, you get to the end of Paws and, and Tales episode 70 is a revelation that they are all humans. <laughs>
0: Hey, at least, you remember, at least you remember now how many episodes there are.
1: <laughs> well, I mean, I think it's 69, right? That's how many episodes there are?
0: Yeah, it's 69. It's just a random number, yeah. Anyway. Well, I thought you were making the joke like the one episode they do after all those. That's what I mean. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I I guess I thought too much about that. I should have just stayed quiet because I thought that was a good joke without explaining it. It was a good joke.
1: Okay, so can I, can I go on? Can I mention something about this? Yeah, go ahead. So, given my recent outspoken nature of some stuff in Odyssey. I I doubt that this episode would have, be, or that Jeff White and David Carl would have named this episode this instead because they don't agree with it. But I think this episode should have been called False Dilemma, instead of a Race Against Time.
0: Well, that would give it away.
1: Well, yeah, I guess it would. But the thing is here, I think this episode presents a false dilemma, that is presented as a real dilemma. So maybe not name the episode that, but that's kind of the key word I walk away with here. And I'll talk about it as we go through, but I, I very strongly disagree with the moral of this episode. And it's really interesting why, Uh, but we'll we'll talk about it.
0: I think I might have some agreement on that. I have some notes later on that we'll, we'll talk about. Yeah. So, Edgar Tala, he needs a doctor, and you know, they're close to a sawmill, so... They reluctantly help him. They don't really want to. They do eventually do the right do the right thing with that. And I guess they, I think, get him in his cart that he was. They don't have the wheelbarrow more, anymore. So I guess they got him in the cart that they he do. was pushing or whatever.
1: Well, they could have the wheelbarrow or they could have his cart. Either either way, because they gave the crate to Officer Hunt. They don't say that they gave him the cart necessarily, so they could have the cart. But I think, um, but so you said they do the right thing.
0: Yeah. So yeah, I'm not trying to be uh. I know. Well, I'm sure we'll bring out those parallels later, but, yeah, you know, if, really, if somebody was really hurt and you felt that they were really hurt, I would think helping them would be the best thing to do, the right thing to do. Because you also, you're, because you're comparing it to, okay, what's more important, someone's health and safety versus, you know, someone getting a a job done. Someone getting a job
1: done. I'm sorry, this is the false dilemma. If if you want to talk about it now, we can, or we can save it till later.
0: Yeah, I guess we'll probably wait a little bit later. We'll we'll we're pretty close to it already. I find it kind of interesting. Like the kids, they talk about it's like maybe we should have been rude to everyone just to save time or whatever. Which and it's kind of funny, but yeah, you think like okay, some because some you know, that is kind of human nature sometimes. You just they're in a hurry, they want don't want to talk much, or they might say things they shouldn't with that. But it's a good thing they don't because they deep down they are, they are good kids and they haven't taught well. They are Christians, so they should. They should have have the a better pull to do good things than other people other people would. So Edgar says that he wants to stop at Papa Chuck's first to explain things a bit. The Cubs talk about how, you know, they they don't want to disappoint Papa Chuck. They think a lot of him. So they get there and Papa Chuck's all all happy and everything, and he knows Edgar, and they find out that it was all ruse, and he he says it was all he said it was a bit of a deception, which no, it was a major deception. He goes away and he says that he had planned all this to teach him a lesson. He talks about, you know, there's different ways to learn. You learn more if you experience it. And CJ brings up, you know, the good Samaritan kind of thing with that. So I guess here's a good, good opportunity to go into your thoughts on that. There we go. Cracking my knuckles.
1: So the two false dilemmas here are, one, that they either had to be rude to everyone or just stay through the whole conversation. And two, that they either had to help Edgar or go to the sawmill. I don't think either of those are actually dilemmas i think you can do what you're supposed to do and i think i don't think that helping edgar was the right decision even if it was the only decision they could make and i don't like how the good samaritan parable is directly being invoked here and and compared with this example so three of those being you can they could have gone to the first house and at the first the first place where they were going to drop off the saw when he said, do you know if it's sharpened or not? They could have said, uh, we don't. Uh, we have to leave, actually. And he's like, oh, do you – I'm going to see if anything else is sharpened. They could have just walked out at that point because they, they didn't have anything else to do then, and it took up quite a significant period of time. They wouldn't have had to have been rude to do that. That's just him – that's him being rude to them, not them being rude if they leave. And, and so I don't think that that was necessarily one of the choices they had to make. Do we be rude to him or do we stay? Uh, And then with the other places, I don't – I don't really think that time was wasted at the library. The Buffalo was actually really, really quick about it. And then at the store, uh, that there wasn't a lot of time that could have be taken there, but they could have just declined the, the candies. They didn't have to accept those. So I don't think any of those was actually being rude. Second thing was with Edgar on the side of the road, they're so close to the sawmill within maybe two minutes of the place. So unless they wouldn't have even reached the sawmill in time anyway, it seems like they were only a couple minutes out. So... It, maybe it's just a maximum of seven minutes where CJ goes to the sawmill, drops off the instructions, says, these are from Papa Chuck. Make sure to make sure to cut it to what is, what does he say? Cut it proud. Uh, yeah. Cut it proud. And I got to go. And just do that really quickly and get back to Edgar. That accomplishes the goal in maybe seven minutes. And if Edgar has been there for uh, for a significant period of time where five or six other animals have passed him, he's going to be okay. Uh, and even if he, even if he isn't, CJ and Stacy are being paid for this. So it's a choice of whether to let down Papa Chuck or get the skunk to the to the hospital, to the doctor just a couple minutes earlier than before. Which, given the injury and the fact that he's still able to talk and he seems to he's he's maybe even if even if he's not doing great, he's okay. Um, even if he's injured. Uh they would like give him some pain pain medicine or whatever for that. But For Stacy to stay with him just to make sure he stays okay if there's a problem to run and get help or run and get CJ, CJ has a higher responsibility to Papa Chuck than he does to the skunk. And the reason for this, if the rationale is, well, what about the Good Samaritan? What about at the... At the end of the episode, I forget who says it. Is it the narrator that says Jesus said that helping others is the second most important thing we can do? Oh, that was Papa Chuck. Yeah, that is absolutely not what Jesus said. He said, love your neighbor. And maybe loving your neighbor is loving Papa Chuck. Because Papa Chuck is the one who's saying, you need to get this in or else my whole work week is going to be ruined. So he's he's paying them to do this. I keep bringing that up. But because they already have a higher responsibility, they need to follow through on their responsibility and help Edgar. It's a, it's not a dilemma in this episode. They can do both of them. And, and furthermore, with the Good Samaritan, that I I read through the Good Samaritan after reading this just to make sure, okay, it's not saying that, right? Because uh, despite what VeggieTales or what this episode is saying or what the song at the end of this episode is saying, the Good Samaritan is not about, oh, I'm too busy. I can't help you. It's about a priest and a Levite who cannot become unclean by touching this man who's covered in blood and been beaten up. That, that, that can't stop to help. But because they are supposed to be the, the, the people who keep the law and are, who are the holiest among the, the Jews, for a Samaritan to show up who doesn't keep the law and is not holy to help, that's what Jesus was talking about. That even though you may be, you may, you may be my people, you may be the ones who I chose— but if you don't do the will of my father, I am not in you. That's what, that, that's what the point of that is. Not necessarily, you need to ignore your other obligations to help me. What if the priest and the Levite actually were going to save someone else? Who knows what that was for? We don't know their intent. What if the five animals who passed Edgar were going to do something else? And that's why the song doesn't make sense because it was clear that the cheetah and the – what were they? I think it was the cheetah and whatever else in the song who were passing the turtle – it would have taken three seconds to flip over the turtle and then go on their way, which is exactly what the bee does. So, uh, throughout this, I don't, I don't really like how the justification for the false dilemma given in this episode is you should value doing the obvious choice over the nuanced choice, which may actually be better and result in both things. Because if CJ had just ran to the sawmill and got back, he could have done both. And for Papa Chuck to be praying that they follow this false dilemma without actually thinking it makes it reduces credibility which is something you need as a writer you need to understand that your audience is intelligent and that you as the writer need to be the most intelligent person in this whole thing like even if you don't know everything you need to know every reaction your audience is going to have so that you can anticipate it and follow up on it i'm finding that as as a writer it's just something you got to do writing's hard so that's my that's my problem here i don't like how it the only choice that would have been the right choice was I, what I think was the wrong choice, or like not the, not the wrong choice because choices are nuanced, but a very flawed one. That those are my thoughts. You can feel free to push back.
0: So, one we do find out that um because not long after they agreed to take Edgar to the hospital, the sawmill whistle blows. So they were really close to it. So being distracted long enough would have kept them from going even further from there really it sounds like i'm not sure how exactly how far away they were i guess they were running but they were stopped long enough there and even if they wanted to do both things they probably wouldn't have been able to do it in time because at least we hear in that scene that time progresses there that they don't that they run out of time there sure and also too just because it was a false like you said like a false dilemma or fake dilemma or a, um, or we might call it a fake mystery. Just because it was set up, it doesn't negate the fact that if this was a serious situation, if they chose to do to help Edgar over that, morally it would be probably better to help him. Because also we gotta think about it too. Papa Talk designed this f- for the kids to go through. Like if he had did this for an adult, then it would have been much different. Kids don't always think all those things through. It's set up enough to the point that, you know, I, it's kind of me explaining some a little bit plot holes that you kind of mentioned earlier a little bit for a kid trying to do these things and all these things taking their time and attention. And this major thing happening there, if it was for an adult, yeah, we can see that. But as for for kids level, I can see how this would work and would be sufficient for like trying to teach him. But if he really was hurt, I doubt Stacy would have been able to push him in the car by herself. I still think that they made the right choice with that because really like if it, what was it even the more serious situation, like what if someone was drowning or if someone was, you know, in a fire or something like that, if you had the capability to help them, should you? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. We're supposed yeah, to. Absolutely.
1: Because that's time sensitive. Yeah.
0: Because, you know, as Christians, we're supposed to lay, lay down our lives for others, but you know, you still want to use wisdom and discernment on what to do and what, what not to do. But I still think that looking at it, you know, from an adult's perspective, yeah, this situation may not be the best and may have some flaws to it, but for kids and what they're going through, I I think it works. Even though I don't necessarily like the kind of the deception a whole lot with it, especially after hearing a lot of recent Odyssey episodes, I don't think the, the moral like their presentation of it, like the Good Samaritan kind of thing, like with because I have here I print a direct quote from Papa Chuck: "There will always be a good reason not to help someone. It'll almost always cost you, and most of the time, it's a real bother." And then he says something to the effect of helping others is the second greatest thing to do. But then he says, you know, and just says, you know, love your neighbor as yourself. And then the first one is, you know, love the Lord your God with all your heart soul and mind or something like that. It's kind of portraying that verse because it starts out saying helping others is the second greatest thing to do. It's not. It's loving your neighbor as yourself. And that that can mean more than just helping. It can include that, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to help them with everything.
1: Yeah, and... I guess like I was mentioning earlier, Papa Chuck could be your neighbor. Like, what's the higher value here? Mm-hmm. Uh, I was going to say maybe three things in all that you said there. Can I jump in back and, and say some of that? Yeah, go ahead. So I want to clarify. What I mean by false dilemma doesn't mean that it was a dilemma that was contrived or a dilemma that was set up by somebody. Uh, what I mean is that the phrase false di- – you, you know what the phrase false dilemma means, right? I think I've heard you talk about it before. Right. It's that you're you're being forced to choose between one of two options when in reality you can do both. Okay. Um, so, for example, God is loving and – uh, wrathful. Uh, both of them, because his wrath is an extension of his love. If that's a false dilemma to say that either God is loving or or just or holy or something like that. It, it also in this circumstance, if we're saying that this is just for kids, well, same thing as in Rydell, uh these kids are special. And if there were if they were intelligent enough to figure out this choice, and if doing this choice and actually making the tough decision was a an answer for Papa Chuck and the situation he planned out, then obviously they're smart enough to figure this out on their own they this is something that had they been smarter they should have figured out and that would have proved that they are special so like just like with emily if she's smart enough to go through all of the trials that wit and Maury put her through then she's also smart enough to deserve uh, con- uh like proper respect and consent so in this i i think it does make sense to actually respect these kids enough and i think it's just a writing bug here uh but another thing with papa chuck is that i think he's perfectly fine in setting up the scenario i think it's actually brilliant in a way that rydell isn't because papa chuck is did have cj and stacy for this limited amount of time he did them do a task that he, he made them do a task which or he paid them to do it, even, again, because this is something they normally do, and he wanted to do it to bring out something in them that he's already been bringing out in them, and that was useful to him, and that they don't have to worry about outside of this circumstance, or outside of the scenario. They can keep living their daily lives while thinking, oh yeah, Papa Chuck helped me realize that, or now he knows something about me. I think that's perfectly fine, and something great that Papa Chuck did. I just disagree with the the dilemma that he posed to them. Okay. Does, does that make sense?
0: I... Mostly. But I, I think You understand what I'm saying, but it's just it's it's yeah, it's hard. I'll pro I'll probably think about it a little bit more once I'm editing this. I'll probably understand it fully then. Okay. <laughs> to future Austin. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> so once they're finished with their talk here and also I'll point out Publiche said that somebody did something to like Tim him like this in the future. Or in the past. Ooh. Okay.
1: <laughs> he can tell the future. <laughs>
0: But um, the first time he did it um, to somebody else, and we get to like, the narrator again because they're gonna eat some pies that Sandy made, and I just like that kind of the narrator's delivery. Like you know, Papa Chuck, they said like four pieces of pie, three of them there, and Papa Chuck is a two-piece of pie sort of <laughs> bear, kind of tongue-in-cheek kind of saying there. Yeah, that's great. Then we get into his talking about. He said they didn't know that there there were more tests ahead for them. I think also mean like that Papa Chuck might set up for them, and he said they knew they were special. And, but also, he didn't know that teaching them to be godly would one day save the lives of everyone in town.
1: What? Is that story actually, does that story actually take place? Does that actually happen?
0: No comment.
1: What? You can't tell me that. You have to tell me if it happens because I don't know if we get to the series and it doesn't happen. I'm going to be really let down by it. So, knowing that it actually happens is going to build my anticipation for it. So,
0: I told you, I told you in past reviews no. that the whole series doesn't <laughs> totally wrap up. But I think it, it stops oh. it. It sto- for most of it, I think it works the way it ends. But not absolutely every single thing, but I think it wraps it up enough that it doesn't leave too much hanging, okay, a whole lot at least okay, maybe
1: we convince them t- maybe we can convince these people to write maybe four more episodes that wrap up everything. I don't know, I don't know
0: yeah i that's 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 my that's my dream i I want them to do some more another another season at least like me twelve thirteen episodes but yeah well if we if we get if we get to season three, we'll probably have more uh discussion on that definitely but anyway. Um, so we get uh kind of reference back and I guess the kids are wondering like if Mr and Mrs. are really like that or if they're just acting, I guess. Like, do they really yell like that? And then Papa Chuck talks about how uh he whispered or he asked her something in church and she yelled at him and it started him so much that he that he fell off his pew and sat in the aisle, which I thought I thought was pretty funny. <laughs> Yeah. And it's one of those, you know, laugh lines, like leading out on a laugh line that I think works. Sometimes it's fine. Some yeah. episodes ha- on some shows do that and it doesn't quite work. And it seems kind of contrived. I think this, I think it works well. Right, because it. it's also a callback to something earlier in the episode. So we get to the song, uh, which is like a, kind of like a Latin music kind of style there. I think it's a fun song. It's kind of catchy. And it's kind of like a story driven. But also at the same time, I think it's kind of cringy a little bit and also the idea of a bee <laughs> is able to flip a turtle up on its own that's a really big bee the idea is that it was easy enough
1: it was it was easy enough that it, it, even a bee could do it right which just makes the song make no sense <laughs> not because the bee flipped the turtle over but because everyone else ignored him i've i've said my thoughts on the song sorry
0: well the thing is also too it's a little bit weird too because i think the cheetah and owl and something else i think went, went by him how in the world did the owl get in the lake? And how is the owl drowning? Like, I don't know, was, it, was the owl, like, right <laughs> on the cheetah's back and they got in the water and it just got too wet to fly? Or I don't know. I don't know if it's the first time you've actually called something cringy, Austin, but I'm here for it. <laughs> but it kind of is. It's kind of, it's well-produced. It's, like I said, it's fun and catchy, but when you start to look at it a little bit deeper, it's like, eh, yeah, it's not not the greatest, greatest song in the world. It's it's probably one my least favorite paws and Tales songs yeah it 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 is what it is
1: it's funny but when you actually use your
0: head i don't know
1: yeah it's it's okay i can see what they were going for
0: but they actually kind of add a little bit more that the story doesn't do like the person that is helped goes and helps someone else even those people didn't help them before which wasn't anything that they had in the story about that which i it it makes it for like a, a different story inside the song but it doesn't really tie into anything in the episode with that aspect of it.
1: I think that makes even more problems, though, because we don't get an indication that the turtle was busy. I think the idea is that the cheetah and the owl and the other animal that were somewhat... that were Oh, is it a cheetah? Uh, yeah, cheetah, I think, maybe leopard? I don't remember. Whatever other animal. You get the idea that they were busy, and that's why they, they passed by. But then the turtle, I don't think, was busy. So then when he goes to save them from the pond it's not or the lake, it's not that they... It's not that he was busy and he went out of his way. It's that it was a difficult thing. Without, I'm trying to figure out what my notes what my notes were, but yeah, it's just a bit convoluted given the rest of the episode and stuff.
0: That's just me. That's the last time I'll say that. <laughs> okay, so i mean, comparing it to the last episode. I think I like this episode better than the other. I think the comedy in this works great, and it's it's kind of not quite like a frantic episode like the race against time. It, you kind of get that feeling with the episode, like you feel like kind of escalating kind of thing i think the pacing in it is just is good even though i don't totally agree with how they present the moral with everything i mean the comedy in it is very good and the acting like cj's acting in this is is great he's great great in this i think all the other actors are as well yeah the yeah the moral and the song not being the greatest it's not it's not it's definitely probably it's probably one of my least favorite *Paws and tales episode as well mm-hmm.
1: yeah i've got the uh binary rating that i just have in my head for episodes for Down Gilead Lane, it really doesn't happen very often. I think there might be – I don't think there's any disapproved episodes for seasons one to four of DGL. It's fantastic. Uh, and then as soon as the Christmas special hits, I'm like, okay, no, we're not doing this. It was one of those. Anyway, that's a, That's another story. So for this one – or for these episodes, I think both of them are going to be disapproves for me just because i if I went back and re-listened to – to what's it? To Paws and Tales, I probably wouldn't re-listen to these. But I would listen to episodes like High Noon, Standing Alone, things like that. Uh, any other episode with Goose, except Correction of Course. So overall, Paws and Tales is is good in its production quality. I think the the writing isn't as great as it was, but it's still solid. So that's where I come down on this one.
0: Yeah, and also because these two episodes are mainly written by people other than David Carl. So when you don't have the same person that's that knows the characters as well, then you also can run into those kind of issues where it's the quality may not always match up. Right. Exactly. But hey, at least we had fun talking about these episodes. Thank you, Michael for joining me it was it was it was it was so much fun getting to review something with you again.
1: Yeah, yeah, no problem, Austin. Uh, happy to be here anytime you want.